Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 252 of Yoga Land. As you can see, this is our very first YouTube podcast together with Jason. Hi, Andrea. How are you? Good. Are you excited? Yes. I'm mostly excited because I think that now that people, should they choose to watch the podcast, they can see the beautiful glory that is our dog, who will be in your lap the entire time. <laughs> they can see the attachment that we've got going here. Yeah. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about imposter syndrome. This is something that comes up a lot in your teacher trainings uh, with your trainees asking about it. Understandable. It's nerve-wracking being a new teacher. It also came up when you put a call out for questions on Instagram, and there were a few people who responded, so we just thought, perfect opportunity to talk about it. Yeah, and it's always been one of these topics that I... Look, I have plenty of insecurities, but I've never had the insecurity that I was an imposter. Hmm. And so, or at least not in this context, right? And so it's always been one of these things that when people brought up, I didn't really have a lived experience of. Hmm. So my impulse was to kind of deny it. And just not deny that people had imposter syndrome, but to essentially talk it up as pure insecurity, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then the more I got to thinking about it, And the more people have brought this up over the years, the more I realized like, oh, no, this is is something to actually go a little bit more deeply in. So it's something that I have spent more time trying to understand and kind of see that, oh, well, there's a a dynamic world here. And I think that we can unpack it and talk through and help people have a little bit more understanding and empathy and maybe see some of the maybe the causal variables about why they experience it or someone else experiences it. Right. So let's start with a definition. So when you and I did our quick Google search, uh, because we were both kind of curious, where did this term come from? What we found is that it was a a term that was coined in in the late 70s by some psychologists in reference to their patients who were coming in, mostly women, and were in leadership positions within their workplaces. And so that was it was originally a phenomenon that mostly occurred with women in the workplace, similar to many yoga teachers, right? So there are a few definitions, and it seems pretty obvious, but, but it's essentially when you feel like the position that you are in is not one that you are worthy of holding. It's not what you feel like a fraud right. in whatever position you are assigned. Right. 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 And so that kind of got both of us thinking that if someone experiences imposter syndrome or feels like a fraud, then consciously or unconsciously, that means that that person has a notion of who is not a fraud, Mm -hmm. who is the legitimate heir to that role. Right. If I have imposter syndrome, it's because I'm pretending to be someone I'm not. Mm -hmm. So who is the person that we're pretending to be? Mm -hmm. And what is our internalized notion of what or who that entity is? And as we talk through this, specifically in the context of yoga, a lot of different ideas came up, right? And the first thing that I'll I'll lay out there is when we think about 
who are we measuring ourselves against?、Mm-hmm. Right? What authority are we measuring ourselves against? The first thing that comes up is our teachers,、mm-hmm. right? And and what I feel like on this topic, and and I want to, I just want to lead with my example of how I felt with working with my teachers. Okay. I have always known that. My teachers have certain skills and depths and experiences that I do not have, in part as a function of time on the job、mm-hmm. and time on this earth. There's something about time and experience that can't be replicated. There's going to be a dimension of experience that can't easily be replicated until you have that experience. Yeah. Right. And I have. Had plenty of teachers, but one of my teachers is not only a teacher, but is and was a very well-known teacher, Rodney Yee, especially、mm. back in the '90s and 2000s when I was spending more time with him. And if I ever measured myself, we're going to have a lot of this coming and going, right? <laughs> this、Those、is my life. Listening, this is my life, my perpetual toddler.、Okay. So what I want to get to is, if as a teacher, we measure ourselves. Against our teachers, I think we're making a mistake.、Mm-hmm. It's a very natural thing to do,、sure. but what we need to do is say to ourselves, "Listen, just because our teacher has maybe more time and more experience, and at least in some capacities, more technical knowledge, right? It's not always the case, but if they have those things, that's okay. There's and that." That someone knows more about a subject than I do does not mean I don't know enough to teach.、Mm-hmm. And and Richard used to joke with Richard Rosen, right? He's just like one of my teachers and an amazing person in so many ways. We both know. And he used to he was both joking but also sincere. He would say, "It's easy to be a teacher. All you have to do is find at least one person that knows even less than you know." I love Richard so much. Right? Yeah. And so and so again, it's not. The issue isn't, am I as skillful as my teachers are? It's, do I know enough, and am I as skillful enough to help the people in this room? Right. Right. That that's that's the relationship that you really want to think. Like, if I think about all of what I do not know about life, I'm just gonna like cower in fear. Right. Yeah. Because what we don't know in is so. Always going to dwarf what we do know,、mm-hmm. and and we're going to talk about knowledge and the need for knowledge later. But the point is, the question you shouldn't be asking yourself is, are you as good and experienced and and knowledgeable as your teachers? It's, do you have a certain amount of skill and wisdom that you can help people with who are in this room right now? Right. And the answer to that question is probably yeah. Mm-hmm. Right,、mm-hmm. and so I think that this is really the first thing that we have to dispel. I think the last part about this that I want to say is, we should be humbled to the to the reality and to the knowledge that other people came before us.、Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I get this in an in a, like more of an athletic competition setup, which is if I get frustrated that I get beaten in a competition by someone that has been doing this. Three times as long as I've been doing this, with much more vigor and passion, then I need to not be surprised or disappointed. I need to be humbled by that、Their、person and that、mm-hmm. hard work that predates me. 
And so rather than feeling a retraction around this reality that other people have more experience than you have, let it humble us and let us actually kind of be inspired that, hey, we're all in the same river, but different people have gotten into it at different times. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'm hearing from you and what you just said as well is just this idea of giving yourself some grace that, yes, we compare ourselves to our teachers. When we do that, we're inherently comparing ourselves to someone who has hundreds, if not thousands of more hours of experience on the job. Therefore, understand the comparison, understand and give yourself grace that you're you're just not there yet. Yes. But that doesn't mean, like you said, it doesn't mean not being the same as your teacher doesn't mean that you're you're not worthy of standing up there and teaching what you know. Correct. You reminded me of something which is, and again, speaking of Rodney, I think one of the things that we do to our teachers and other entities in life unconsciously is we treat them as static people. Mm. And so I had this notion when I was a student of Rodney and I was starting to teach, I had this notion that he was here and I was here. And more importantly, I had this notion that he was here, but he was never going to be here mm-hmm. and here mm-hmm. and here. That somehow he had, he had achieved a level. He had arrived. Yeah, he had arrived. Mm-hmm. As if he had arrived in life, as if that life was now a static entity or a static fixed address. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I, we, I had been practicing with him regularly for a couple of years. And I remember this week of classes that he taught. And I remember me thinking, man, he's gotten even better at at teaching this one thing. And so in that moment, I realized, oh, he's still continuing to grow. He's still continuing to learn, which made me realize, oh, we're all, we're just all on the spectrum of growth. And I was more inspired and more relaxed by the reality that he continued to grow because Mm -hmm. it reminded me that we aren't these fixed static entities. And that's actually the kind of person you want to look up to as a teacher too. Someone who is willing to continue growing and continue learning. So another reason we may have imposter syndrome or not live up to the idea of who we think the real and authentic teacher is or the real genuine artifact is the projection that we believe our students have on us. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I was actually comparing it to being promoted in a workplace setting. And you're suddenly promoted to this role that you always looked up to. Like, let's say I had been promoted to editor-in-chief. and You had been. <laughs> I was almost said. And you denied I almost the promotion. Said, suppose I had accepted the position <laughs> of editor-in-chief, but I felt like that would be a little, I don't know. Yeah. So... Suppose I had been promoted to a big role, and you need to just relax for a second, okay? Uh, I would She's have dog, not me. my own perceived expectations of everyone else on me. And those would be my own perceptions, right. right? That I would carry into that role as baggage. And if I really wanted to do an authentic job in that role, it would behoove me to not actually take those expectations to heart when I led my first meeting. It would be to go in and step into the role of the leader that I most wanted to be 
and to embody that in that moment and just do my best from moment to moment rather than trying to anticipate what everyone else is thinking about me. Once in a while, teachers will say, especially in the context of a training, like, I, I think, I think you know, my, my students are projecting on me or maybe they're kind of judging me. I, I feel like I'm being analyzed. And I always want to say, oh, no, 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 no. And the answer is, well, yeah, we kind of do that as humans. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not necessarily our best attribute and trait, but we do kind of do that as humans. Sure. Right? But I think what we know at this point of our lives is we just really can't control other people's perceptions of ourselves, and it's best not to try. Like, it's best not to really even allow ourselves to play that game. Yeah. Uh, because it's impossible to control, and it's best to allow people for better and worse, just like other people allow us for better or worse, to have their inner life. And a student is going to think what they think of me. It's going to be so baked into their life on this planet, I can't change it. The only thing that I can change is the way in which I carry myself and present myself. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure that I'm not doing things to feed into those projections, right? Yeah. I have to not kind of swan into the room and pretend to know things I don't know and so mm -hmm. forth, right? Mm -hmm. Or to pretend I'm, a, you know, the moral authority of the universe and blah, blah, blah. I like imagining you swanning into a yoga I, do, I, do, I, do. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that. So we have all these cameras, right? And the amount of times you've seen me trip over cords in the last 24 hours, you have no idea how many blocks I have kicked. We should have a whole segment. And I know water bottles. The amount of blocks and water bottles <laughs> is th that I have almost broken my foot on is <laughs> remarkable. Um, but so I think this is a recognition of a human element, which is when we're in front of people, there is, there is a concern that those people have a perception of ourselves, of us, that is not real. And that is... The truth. It's the truth. It's just the truth. It, you know, it so reminds me of parenting. I mean, I think it, it reminds me of a few things. W one phrase comes to mind, which has been floating around social media for a while, and I don't know who coined it, but it's just essentially the people who are judging you critically or harshly are not the people who are ahead of you in life, ahead of you on their journey, ahead of you in achievements at work. They're the people who haven't actually done as much as you. Usually. Usually. And so it's like, let this build your own empathy yes. for other people who you've judged totally. as leaders, as teachers, your own parents, right? Your own kids are going to be the most critical of you until they become parents themselves. Yes. My mother's favorite phrase to me growing up was, oh, you wait. Oh, you just wait. And she would say it in a funny way, yeah. but she was right. Yeah. So as you're standing up there feeling nervous, feeling like you're being judged, et cetera, et cetera, remember that, you know, you're stepping into this role. It takes courage to do what you're doing. And you are trying to serve people in the best way that you can and have a sense of humor in remembering that there was probably a time when you were critical of of a teacher for saying And something. there will be a time again. And if not a teacher, someone else that we don't know and don't understand. Yeah. yeah. 
So another category, if you will, of people, or another category where I think, especially yoga teachers, feel like they're an imposter, is when they compare themselves to a real or an imagined person that is that already has some perfected, unblemished skill within the yoga tradition. I think another way of saying this is there's an extra layer of pressure on yoga teachers because it's a spiritual tradition. Well, by spiritual tradition, but also, but it can be postural. So, okay, so, so what I mean by this is whatever I perceive as like, oh, that's a real yogi. Maybe I perceive a real yogi as someone who has unbelievable back bends and inversions and arm balances. Or maybe I perceive a real yogi as someone that that is beyond time and space and that that has perfected the teachings of Patanjali, no longer has an internal stress or conflict, right? It's whatever we conjure and imagine because the reality is the yoga tradition asks a lot of us and it also promises a lot to us. Mm-hmm. Any even basic reading of the yoga tradition does not say that the journey is the destination, just chill and enjoy. Like the, That can be kind of a contemporary sentiment, but there's none of that in the actual teachings of the yoga tradition, right? So if I am an aspirant of the yoga tradition and I am aspiring to have any attribute or quality that I deem someone to have who has reached some ultimate state of yoga, then I might very quickly realize, well, I don't have that. My back bends are lousy. My hamstrings are tight. I don't know what the teacher means when they say end range of motion. And I was really stressed. And you know what? Yes, I was judging people earlier today. So I am not a real X, Y, or Z, right? So kind of what I'm saying is we can fall short of any rarefied or idealized notion Mm -hmm. of what we believe a true yogi or yoga practitioner to be. Mm -hmm. Like it's an easy thing to fall short of if we have this image of ultimate perfection, whatever that means, right? Mm -hmm. And and so I I think it's probably like this with other spiritual traditions and or other religions, I don't know. But I think when we have an idealized notion of something, it becomes very easy to measure ourselves and our failures against that idealized notion. Right. Right. And so I think I think the main thing to remember, at least in a modern context, if if this is happening for us, is yoga is described as a practice mm-hmm. for a reason. Right. So. Every yoga teacher that I have known and every yoga practitioner that I have known is also made of flesh and blood too. If we look at the Bhagavad Gita or we look at kind of most any spiritual text, what we're going to see is loss. We're going to see confusion. We're going to see despair. We're going to see the human attributes in which we can still be a person of that faith or a person of that tradition and still be struggling along the way. Yeah. So I think if we are a perfectionist and we believe we're 
only can be a real yoga teacher if we have quote unquote perfected the modalities within yoga, then we're going to struggle with this. Hmm. Then this is going to be a causal feature of our imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so I think the bottom line is to just step back and just remember that this is what we are aspiring to is continuous practice of the discipline and the attributes within that discipline. Not that we all have to be, in order to teach this subject, a perfected entity along the books. Yeah. I mean, this could be like a whole other podcast because I just think it's, it's just kind of fascinating to think about this idea of I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to like, you know, this idea of like being an awakened being, right? Yeah. Which is in some ways an aspiration of yoga and being a householder. Yes. And we are all householders. And this is where I say, I, I could get myself into trouble, but like PS, many people who have claimed to be awakened beings have not been awakened beings and have been more flawed than you and I put together and Ginger put together. She's flawless. So she is flawless. That's true. So I think part of it is, as you, you, what you and I believe is accepting the process of growth instead of aspiring toward a, an ideal of perfection. And I think what goes along with that is sitting in and being able to accept that criticisms may occur to your face or not. It's interesting, like I have been criticized on the podcast for not being perfect. I have been criticized for not knowing everything about a certain subject that I interviewed someone about. And I thought that was so kind of funny and interesting that I am interviewing an expert about something in this particular situation. And I was being criticized for not knowing every, like, to me, my value is to be curious and open and to ask questions and to be honest about my intellectual gaps, right? That to me is, that's what I aspire to. So that criticism does, did hurt for a second as all criticism does. And it made me, you know, it's like, it stings. I reflect honestly. I try to be honest about where they might be right. And then I come back to my own values. And in that particular situation, I have to let that criticism go. I have to, or I'm going to drive myself crazy. I want to go back to one root cause. This is because you kind of brought this up in the very top of the conversation when you said, you know, this isn't something that I have experienced too much. And I, I love that you said that. It's so honest and I really appreciate it. And I think that in part that is potentially a gender difference. It, sure. We're more accustomed to seeing men in positions of power. We're more accustomed to seeing men in positions of leadership. We're accustomed, more accustomed to seeing men command a room. And, and the gender, the pay, gender pay gap still exists, right? So I don't have the statistics in front of me. I can put them on the, on the show notes page because I always think that kind of thing is really interesting. But from what I remember when we were looking at it yesterday, a Pew report of 2021 said that women would have to work 42 more days per year to have equal pay to men in, in uh, requisite positions. So... So if you think of it that way, as a woman, we start out with this baseline, like visceral knowledge 
material knowledge that we're not as valued in society for the roles that we do. We're, we're just not. So I don't say that to be a downer. I say that to say it's natural that you might feel as a woman walking into a room like an imposter. Certain things are just so deeply enmeshed in the cultural fabric, and we are not immune to cultural fabric. Yeah. And all cultures have fabric that people are not immune to. And so this can be baked in to psyches. Yeah. And we see two different ways it plays out. If this, if these are, if this is the causal variable, right? That I didn't really feel this issue because I'm within a cultural fabric that kind of lets me more readily learn on the job. That's something that's, uh, that's actually another subject, but I'm just, we could go forever. One of the things I just also want to say is in everything, there's a lot of learning on the job. Mm-hmm. So going back to early on, if you feel like you're an imposter in the first couple of years of being a teacher, it's because you're not super good at it yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter, anyone that's new to their job, new to applying things, it is a long learning curve. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing we forget is like, this is actually a difficult job. Mm. To, it, there's a lot of skills that go into executing this job, right? But, but back to the, yeah. the gender disparity, maybe one of the causal variables or maybe the causal variable of me not experiencing this, although I'm sure there's men that experience this in life, is that because it wasn't subliminally baked into my psyche. Yeah. And also, you know, I, I just want to say, like, to sort of, I always want to look at the, the positive side, but it, it makes it even more important that as a woman, you step up totally. as yourself yeah. in that leadership position. You know, one of the things that I read early on when I was starting the podcast was I read an article on The Cut. I will link to it in the show notes page by Anne Friedman, who is a by by now, a really famous podcaster. She's a generation younger than me. And she wrote a really inspiring story about how when she started the podcast, she wanted to speak authentically in her own voice. And that voice included a lot of likes and ums and a bit of upspeak too. And she got a lot of criticism for it. And she kind of came back and said, this is how I have been conditioned to speak as a woman And this is how I genuinely express myself and people are uncomfortable with it because they're not as used to women's voices. And I just thought that was, that gave me a lot of permission and a lot of leeway that because we are not used to seeing women express themselves as leaders, we feel as women uncomfortable about being leaders because we're not, we're not fulfilling the expectation of expressing ourselves like a man and being a leader like a man. We're, we just haven't seen it. We're not used to it. So we hold ourselves to this expectation that is we can't really fulfill because we're just different. So anyway, I, I just think that makes it even more important to be willing to put yourself out there and lead and know that critics are just going to be there yeah, and be no matter what. and try to be okay with that. Yeah. So there's two more what I think are kind of images where we can deny our validity because we aren't that, right? Or not everyone is that. And one of them is, I think that there are a lot of people that feel like they're an imposter if they're teaching yoga and they're not from India or they're not of Indian origin or ethnic descent. Right. And I want to defer 
to the complexity of this particular topic to yeah. other guests in conversations, especially as it relates to cultural appropriation and so forth. It's just, we have other people that have a more intellectualized and shared lived experience to talk about the complexities of these topics. But I do want to, I do want to give kind of two thoughts on this. And again, the first one refers to me and my experience. So I've had many teachers that were very influential in me. Most of them, honestly, have been men. And there's been two, Mary Pafard and Patricia Sullivan, who are really important in my development, who are women. But then there's three people who are men that have been really influential to me. One is Ramanand Patel, who is Indian, from India. Rodney Yi, who's Chinese-American. And Richard Rosen, who is Caucasian. And... All I can say is I feel blessed that I've had them as teachers and I feel like they were culturally different, but I gained the most by having exposure to all of them, not just one of them, right? So where, where I really appreciate, there's a lot of ways I appreciate diversity, but but so what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate here is I believe I am better off as a student for having exposure to all of them with all of their backgrounds because I believe in a heterogeneous and multicultural approach to things. So I don't feel like my education would have been better had it only been from an Indian teacher or Indian teachers. I think that there's something that Ramanan provided us, whether it was him or whether it was from his cultural heritage, I do, I cannot completely know. But the point that I want to get really clear on this is I benefited not just from three teachers, but teachers of different communities and different cultures. And so I want there to always be different teachers from different communities and different cultures, mm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just really think the more, the more we have teachers of this discipline from various and diverse backgrounds, the better, mm -hmm. right? And then the, the only other part I want to say is this, this quote from Desika Char, and it's in Heart of Yoga, which I think is one of you know, the most important contemporary books on yoga, at least in, in my experience. And he, he wrote the origins of yoga and the yoga tradition come from India, but their teachings are universal. Hmm. The teachings of yoga cannot be constrained by time, culture, or boundary. They're a gift to humanity. Hmm. So that's the way I feel on that topic, right? That's just kind of what I want to share on that piece. And then the, the, final, the final little bit here is I think that we can feel like an imposter just as a manifestation of intrinsic insecurity. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. like all of those, all those are much more kind of nuanced, complicated variables. But I think the reality is we all are a little insecure or most people are at least a little bit insecure. And insecurity tends to be magnified when people are looking at you, right? Sure. And so any insecurity that you have 
the moment you go give a presentation or give a speech or step in front of other people, the more that is gonna magnify. So, so what I will say is being a yoga teacher for a long time increased my insecurity. It did not decrease it. Hmm. It increased it because it put me in a context where I felt vulnerable. Oh, okay. Where I felt assessed, where I felt judged, right? So I, I still didn't feel like an imposter, but when you're in front of others and you feel like, like you're a bombing, awareness. Yeah, yeah, it's a hyper. Yeah, that, I think that's that's the best way to say mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now I want to shift the topic really briefly. Like that's the majority of our conversation, but I want to shift the topic. I just, just want to add one little okay. thing to what you just said, which is again, I think I like to think of insecurity as the shadow side of your ego flaring up. Ginger's a shadow side. I don't know she's if she's really going to be welcomed for this. She's really putting on a show for most of the cameras showing. are missing her. But I don't know. Yeah. If she's you might not gonna be welcome be, back. To we're going to see. Okay. We're going to see. So, yes, I think of it as the shadow side of your ego, right? And it's, and so if you, for me, things like this, if I think of them as entities, I can then turn toward them as an entity. So mm. if the shadow side of part of me is flaring up and it's, it's causing suffering in me, what can I do? I can turn toward it. And I can just be compassionate toward it. Yeah. And I, that's what I would do with a friend if their insecurity was flaring up. I would try to be compassionate. I would try to allow the feeling to be there. And then I would try to help them let it go. Yeah, it's a normal thing. Like, and, 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 and actually, that, that segues perfectly because I think everything we've talked about are things to understand and to release. Mm -hmm. Right. So far, these are like because these these are like all to some degree that we've talked about phantoms. Mm -hmm. Right. They're part of the of they're part of our complex psychology. Right. And and none of these are like they're they're anxieties that need to be managed or their fears or their concerns that need that are real and legit, but they need to be managed. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think that there are also some scenarios where in where feeling like an imposter might actually be part of your internal checks and balances system saying hey you're actually doing something that doesn't feel right to you right now mm -hmm. right so and i'm going to give i'm going to give a couple examples of this right so i don't chant i don't even chant om in class I don't include Hindu iconography or I don't include storytelling around Shiva, Ganesha, so forth and so on. And the reason that I don't do these things is because I don't resonate with those components of the broader tradition and cultural milieu. It's not that I deny them. It's not that I refute them. It's not that I have an aversion to them. It's that they don't, they don't sing to me in the way that everything else does. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there are certain times when we're teaching, especially early on, it's, we talk about finding our voice, but we, but we very rarely talk about the difficulty and the time that finding our voice takes. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a yoga teacher, there might be certain things that you're doing when you're teaching that you're phoning in. 
that you're doing because you feel like it is to be done, or you, you're doing it because that's what your teacher did, or you, you like you're you doing, doing it. You're doing it because you just feel like you should be doing it. But those things that I spoke of, chanting and, and so on, those to me, I have so much respect for those things. And those things are actually of such great consequence to so many that I'm not doing those things if my knowledge and my skill and my heart isn't in it. And so I think that that if you're a teacher and we'll use a we we'll use kind of a different scenario. You're a teacher and you are, you know, always reading some sort of quote or always reading some sort of verse. Or if you're a teacher and man, you are just cut from yin cloth, but you did a vinyasa training and so you're just teaching vinyasa yoga, but your heart really rests in yin yoga. Those are all examples of, well, you're not being fraudulent. You're not an imposter, but there's something within your intuition that's telling you, it's not that you're on the wrong path of being a teacher, it's that there's some component of teaching that you you still need to sort out Mm -hmm. in order to feel more authentic within yourself. And man, you, that's just not going to happen in the first couple of years of teaching. Mm-hmm. You're just not going to like somehow in the first couple of years of teaching feel like you've completely landed on your essence and your subject and your persona. Mm-hmm. That's another thing too is like persona. Hmm. Like sometimes as a teacher, I think teachers will carry a more, I'm just going to say it, like a little bit more of like a preppy sort of uptight persona. Like fitting into what we think we need to be instead of like using our own language and relaxing into it a little bit. Teaching yoga can kind of make us insecure, which can kind of make us uptight, Mm -hmm. which can kind of make us feel like we're playing a role because we're not, we're not really relaxed into who we are in that role. And so then if imposter syndrome is coming up as a function of those things, it's actually positive. You still have to be patient and empathetic with yourself, but but you can take those signals as minor course corrections mm-hmm. to manage over time. Right, right. So paying attention to the sensation, like, hmm, I'm feeling this, and then just actually reflecting on yeah. it to figure out, is this a phantom or is this a sign yeah. that I want to change something a little bit? As a yoga teacher, there was always going to be things that we that we want to change, right? And one thing for me for a long time is to be to include more seated meditation at the end of class. So simple. I didn't feel like an imposter because I wasn't including those things. But that was an aspect of teaching that I felt I could improve on. And so and so again, for some people that might rise to the level of feeling an imposter. But I think the point is, is we don't want to chalk all of these feelings up as some insecure psychological variant because sometimes it's it's actually a signal. Mm -hmm. It's like pain can be a signal that there's an error in the body. Sure. Maybe at some times like, well, look at ourselves and maybe like there's 3% of who we are in that room that kind of is an imposter. And so can we empathize with that, but then 
Make a change. Make a change. Right, right, right. You know, and, and so all of these things, of course, require a fair amount of sincere reflection. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's get our dog in a warmer spot. Yes, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, sounds good. And if you learn nothing from us, especially if you've watched this podcast, it's how much we will do what we need to do to try to make this Go to great lengths for our dog. Yes, yes. All right, everyone. Well, we have lots of show notes today. So I am going to encourage you to go to the show notes page at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 252. If you're listening to this podcast, you can go watch it on our YouTube channel if you'd like to see us in person. And the podcast channel is just Jason Crandall Yoga, right? That's mm-hmm. like just because it's what yes, it's Yes, it's just Jason okay. Crandall Yoga. And if you are not on our newsletter yet, please jump on our newsletter list. It's jasonyoga.com slash newsletter, and you'll get all the updates about where we're teaching, how we're teaching, all the things we're offering, and updates about all of our free content, of which there is a lot right now. Okay, until next week, everyone, enjoy your practice. <laughs>